When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily. It's the last day of the internationals of this particular break and indeed of the year. England just need one point to secure their place at the Qatar World Cup. And uh, a full shortlist has been released for the Ballon d'Or. It's not particularly short, but we're going to look through the players that have caught our eye on that. My name is Ant McGinley and after 20 months... I'm not alone in the back bedroom. I've actually got real people with me in the same room. We're all COVID secure, so at a distance of about three and a half metres. Uh, facing me, I have uh, Newcastle fan uh, Marley Anderson, as is uh, West Ham supporter and boss of all things Sports Social. It's Jim Salverson. Hello. Uh, so let's start with news that we've uh, been talking about for the last couple of days. In fact, all weekend we've been expecting it. And it's been confirmed earlier this morning that Dean Smith is the brand new head coach of Norwich City. Now, we've talked a lot about this and the, the other candidates that were in there. Uh, I mean, first of all, he, he doesn't miss a trick, really. He's had about seven days out of work. He's managed to squeeze in a holiday. Dean Smith is a man <laughs> that really maximises his time. Uh, what's his time going to be like at Norwich? I think he's going to start with relegation. I don't think anyone could come into that Norwich City job and keep them up at the moment. Even Sam Allardyce would struggle to keep them in the Premier League. So I think it is going to start with relegation, but I think Norwich City are probably quite accepting of that as well. I think they appreciate the situation that they find themselves in. Simply put, they haven't got the squad to keep themselves in the league and it's all going to be about rebuilding for next season. And Dean Smith is a man who knows how to get a team from the Championship to the Premier League. The slightly different thing that they need to do this year above what they've done in previous seasons is become a regular Premier League team to stop that bouncing back and forth, back and forth. And Smith's proven he could do that with Aston Villa. He knows how to bring a team up from the Championship and keep it in the Premier League. And yes, Aston Villa had vast wealth to do that. They were able to spend money, be it from the Jack Grealish transfer or be from investment from the owners. And it probably won't be the similar or won't be the same situation at Norwich City. But... I think it could be an interesting appointment. I think he could 
stabilise that football club and he'll certainly bring him back up from the championship, but I can't see him saving him in the short term. Interestingly that you mentioned the money there. Uh, your club's just come into a lot of money, uh, Marley, up at Newcastle. Have um, we? <laughs> <laughs> Not been <I'd>, mentioned. <laughs> uh, but that shows you that just spending money alone isn't going to guarantee uh, you success. I mean, it's got to be part of a bigger framework. Um, your team's been in this situation uh, for a little while now that Norwich are facing themselves with. Uh, you're kind of established, I guess, uh, but it's just been a nervous time for you in the Premier League. What is it that uh, Smith, do you think, has to do to make that transition that Jim says from going from being a, a yo-yo club to a, a club that can actually maintain and build up regularity in the Premier League? That's a, that's a golden question for, for Norwich fans. I think they've been wondering that for about five or six years now, um, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know how Norwich stay up because the problem is Nor- with Norwich is the finances. They're simply not rich enough to compete in mm. the top flight. Um, and in the championship, they're, they're, they're one of the richer clubs. Um, not too rich, but they're rich enough to, to get it done and they're better than everyone on the pitch. But that yawning chasm between the championship and the Premier League is just massive. And you've got to bridge it with cash. Um, they haven't had enough. So I feel like this... this um, appointment is is kind of like planning for three years time like we're, we're gonna go down this season he's gonna bring us back up next season and we'll see what we can do the year after that because that is essentially where Norwich probably see themselves in the next couple of years going down and coming back up again having another go um, and sort of seeing what what situation um, Dean Smith can can cultivate in that time because they haven't been good enough this year. It's going to take an absolute miracle for them to do anything this year. So go down, regroup, see what happens, see what Smith can bring into the club, what what players he can attract and see what he can do if they come back up in, in you know, two years' time. So it's a bit of a weird one now because they haven't even gone down, but we're all sort of expecting it with 27 games to go, whatever you, it is. If you took the money out of the situation that Newcastle United have at the moment... Mm. Who would you say was in? Would you still say Newcastle were in the stronger position than Norwich? Because they're on the same points for the season. Yeah. So they've got both got new managers. You've got Eddie Howe. They've got Dean Smith. Mm. I mean, in my head, it's a no-brainer because Norwich City are doomed and Newcastle United. I think even if Eddie Howe doesn't go and spend loads of money in January, I still fancy them to be safe because I think they've probably just about got the players, and I don't see that with Norwich. Yeah, I think that's. I think you're about right. I think with. I think with Norwich, like Fark's a good manager and he's done he's done well with them. But you you've just seen them at at their top end. Like you've seen that's as good as Norwich get. Um, you know the, the likes of Campwell and Pookie. If you can keep them quiet, that's that's mm. it. You essentially beat them. Well, Campwell's not even been playing much this season. No, he doesn't seem to. It seems to have fallen out with Fark. And, and also, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Billy Gilmore hasn't appeared much either. That was know. his big mistake. Gilmore can get in that Chelsea team. How can he get in the Norwich team? Mm. Like, it's it's bizarre. Um, but yeah, no, the new, with the Newcastle thing, I, I just think with Newcastle they're just um, performing way below what they can, and that's that's a Bruce problem. Um, so that's why there's so much excitement about Eddie Howe because he's actually trained the team and they've been doing drills, and <laughs> shooting and turned up, shooting, everything. passing and dribbling practice. Rather it's amazing than just how that's seen as an improvement, isn't it? Well, the boss is here. Yeah. Wow! Like, oh Christ! So, yeah, so, I, I want to ask: is this is this a reflection more of how competitive the Premier League is? Or is this an indictment of how things are at those clubs that are struggling down the bottom? 
um, because obviously they want to do well. They want to stay there. They'll be doing their best. They'll be uh, bringing in people uh, both behind the scenes and on the pitch when they can to keep them there and, and have mm. have survival. So is it that they're getting it wrong or is it just that it's so competitive in the Premier League, the margins are so fine? I think Marley's right. It comes down mostly depressingly to money and you look at the teams that are down there at the bottom Norwich City Newcastle United Burnley are your three bottom teams in the Premier League two of the smallest budgets yeah and one previously of the smallest with no money being spent that's it I mean I haven't got the details in front of me but I wager that over the last five years those teams are probably the teams that have spent the least in terms of net spend and player recruitment it wouldn't be well there was that thing wasn't there did you see it going around last week of if Lampard took over at, at Norwich he was worth more than Norwich <laughs> like his 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 estimated value is like 66 million and Norwich is his 25 million wow. or 30 million That's or something crazy. like that so that was put it into context really I think there is a I mean the, the league is getting more competitive because I think clubs are getting richer and you look at there's a fair few teams in the league at the moment who have got big investors who aren't necessarily challenging in the top six, You're like Wolverhampton Wanderers, Aston Villa, Everton. they've all, Everton, yeah, they've all got money to spend, but they're not necessarily challenging at the moment, and that's raised the bar for everyone, I think, because you have to spend more just to keep pace with mid-table. But at the same time, the teams that are coming up, there seems to be, you might disagree with this, but there seems to be a disconnect between the Championship and the Premier League in terms of what style of football works, and a team like Norwich City can absolutely steamroll the Championship. They can play the best football in the division. But then they try and play that football in the Premier League and it's more difficult than maybe a team who plays a slightly more, a slightly less expansive mm-hmm. style of football because you're playing suddenly against Premier League defences that can cope better with the attacking football that you want to play in the Championship. So these teams like Norwich who want to pass the ball around and they want to play on the break and they want to play fast football... It does well for them in the Championship, but it's more difficult to then make that transition into the Premier League and play that football in the top division. So what's the difference between, say, Norwich and Brentford? Because Brentford, again, uh, small... Different small parts budget. of the world, <laughs> different colour kits. Yeah, but the, the, the names spell differently. Not, I don't think there's that much difference <laughs> well, at all, really. Well, the thing is, what, what I'm thinking is, like, Jim, Jim, I completely agree with you because they're looking at um, two seasons where they've steamrolled the Championship and then come into the Premier League and just been... The, the worst team in there, sadly, for, for any fans of the team. This Norwich City side are pretty much the same side that went down from the Premier League two seasons ago. Yeah. So there is no element of surprise there. There's no working out how to play against them. Whereas Brentford, yeah. it's kind of almost the Sheffield United situation where no one knows quite how to deal with them. And actually, if you look at Brentford's results during October and November, they've started to slip away. There aren't quite Lost as many surprises. Role, yeah, there. yeah so... so People are sort of working them out. So I think it's a lot of that. I mean, you can talk about Brentford's recruitment and their playing style, and which both appear to be excellent. But it'll be, I think there's still a little bit of proof to be seen there as to whether they will, they might be okay this season, whether they can follow up next season and stay in the division, who knows? I, I just feel like it's very unsporting and uncompetitive for us to be writing off a team already. And, and we're not the only ones saying that. With, as you said, Molly, 27 games to go, like... Almost three quarters of the season left to go. But with that, you're looking at the minute with your bottom five teams, four of them have already changed their manager this season. So um, we're writing off Smith and Norwich uh, quite clearly by that. But out of the other three, considering that three teams will be going down, who do you think is most likely to stay up? You've got Eddie Howe just coming at Newcastle, uh, Stephen Gerrard just coming at Villa, and Ranieri at Watford. Out of those three, 
if you had to pick one of them to stay up and the others would go down, who are you going to go for? Aston Villa. All day. To go down? No, to stay up. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the question is to stay up, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Aston Villa. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I was thinking about going down. But is that, is, is that about Aston Villa or is that about Stevie G? Um, I think Stevie G, the jury's still out on him in terms of a Premier League manager, but he couldn't have done any more to prove himself than what he's done up in Scotland. So you look at that and you go, he should be able to come into Aston Villa and do a good job. He's also the right age for the players in that Aston Villa team to know who he is, respect who he is, and that will motivate them to achieve more. And Aston Villa have got a decent team. I think there's no doubt they've been underperforming under Dean Smith over the last seven, eight games or so because they've got quality throughout that whole team. There's players in every position that can do a job and that you can't say the same about Watford you can't say the same against Burnley you can't say the same about Norwich City so it, I, th- I, I think I think we won't even we won't just see Aston Villa surviving I think we'll see them getting a comfortable top 10 finish by the end of the season but then if it's all about the, the club then the question is why, why did they change but um, I suppose if you lose five in a row in the Premier League people yeah. get nervous and it would seem to, for some reason whatever it was Dean Smith stopped getting a tune out of those players uh, in, interesting that, that I don't know if you've seen this a lot of rumours linking Lampard to be uh, Gerard's replacement at Rangers, that looks like could be his uh-huh. destination. <laughs> uh, so, can you separate your head from your heart on this one, Marley? Because your team are in there, mm. um, and obviously you're going to have the possibility, the potential. And obviously, we don't know how they're going to spend the money, where the money's going to go, and who's likely to come in January. But that's going to be a massive boost uh, for the club. Is that going to be enough with Eddie Howe as well to? have Newcastle as the team out of these that survives? Uh, I th- I think so. I think we're starting to see Brentford slip off um, and I think they will continue to do so, especially with the goalkeeper out for five months. Um, I think that's a huge loss for them. Uh, so they'll have to go and sign someone in January maybe and, and get that right. Um, so I think they'll go with Norwich and I think Watford will go as well mm-hmm. because... I just don't think that much of Watford. I don't think they've got any players that you'd be really scared of, except possibly Saar, but if you keep him quiet, you've sort of beaten Watford. I think Ranieri's not as good at smaller teams. I think he'll be similar with with Watford as he was with Fulham. I think they kind of went down with a bit of a whimper. Um, I don't think Watford are are, are much better than that, so I'd expect them to be down there um, as well. Um, And I expect Newcastle to get a lot better. Um, pretty bloody quickly as well. Um, I was. It's weird. I, I think we when we were on a podcast last week, we were talking about. I think we mentioned Newcastle, and uh, I I went through all our fixtures like that we've got until the end of the season, and I was thinking right three points there, three points there, three points there, and I, I the total I got was thirty five, and we've got five now, so that gets us just to forty, <laughs> and I was like, oh Christ, like we're gonna have to nick a couple of results here and there, but. Um, it looks like it's going to be a low a points to total to secure survival this year, I think. We're not, yeah. It's not going to be another 42-point no. season, is it, where Anything you need 42 to sort of 34, you'll I think probably so. be all right, yeah. But, yeah, I hope, I mean, we need to get better quickly, hopefully. You know, with the, the newfound tactics and things, we'll, we'll get better and, and the the others won't. With these new managers, there's going to be some great fixtures in December as well, especially in the second week. You've got uh, Stevie G, uh, Villa play Liverpool, and uh, also, and then Dean Smith uh, takes his Norwich side to play Villa in that same week that's as a well. Massive game, yeah, 
Yeah, massive, massive, massive. Uh, so uh, one positive thing from this all happening very quickly, Dean Smith's last match in charge uh, was a 1-0 defeat to Southampton. His first match in charge of his new team is Southampton. So he saved a lot of time <laughs> in match prep. <laughs> Lovely. So he can get straight into that. Uh, we're going to park that there for now, uh, take a little break, and then we're going to come back uh, and chat about the Ballon d'Or shortlist, which is out now. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. Jim Salveson, Marley Anderson and myself, Ant McGinley here. And uh, we're looking at the Ballon d'Or shortlist, which is a bit of a misnomer because it's actually 30 long. And uh, interestingly, almost half of it are players from the Premier League. Um, little pub quiz for you. Only two Premier League players have ever won the Ballon d'Or. Can Michael you... Owen yeah, and Wayne Rooney. No, not Wayne Rooney. Oh, are you sure? Unless I missed it. Maybe. Yeah, Rooney's not won the Ballon d'Or. I, I don't think so. Okay. I, you, did, you said he, that with such confidence. A version of one. <laughs> <laughs> you said that with such confidence, Jim, you made me doubt my research. Okay. Uh, Ronaldo. Yeah. Owen and Ronaldo, yeah. Yeah, oh. 2008 was the last time a Premier League player uh, won it, and that was uh, uh, Ronaldo at United. But was 2008 also... Well, no, it wasn't. That's not the case. When was the last time that someone won it that wasn't Messi or Ronaldo? Oh, I was Luka Modric a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, Luka Modric. Modric yeah, yeah and, and I think had it not been cancelled last year, we might have seen Lewandowski win it. Um, who's, should have. Yeah. <laughs> he should have. Yeah. He's been screwed out of about three now. <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, he, you look at this list and surely Lewandowski's got to win it this year because oh, Ronaldo's yeah. not doing it. Well, I mean, you, it depends who you talk to, but Ronaldo isn't the same player he has been in previous seasons. His impact at Manchester United has been good or bad, depending what way you want to look at it. Yeah. Lionel Messi is having a bit of a torrid time at PSG by his standards. This is the year where one of the best strikers in Europe for the last five years... Surely he's got to win the Ballon d'Or this year. But then does this show that it's almost like a, a political thing, like the Eurovision or the Oscars? And it's kind of like, well, let's, you know, you often see this uh, with the Oscars. They <laughs> the go, <Eurovision>. let's, <laughs> let's give it to them. Brilliant. Let's give it to them before they uh, they depart this mortal coil. Um, you know, it, <laughs> it's not that old. So just taking a step back and, and looking at this list, as I say, uh, 14 of the 30 are currently playing in the Premier League. And uh, 15% of the list are actually England players. Um, and club-wise, the club with the most players on there, uh, Man City, closely followed by PSG. So from all those, is there anybody that really stands out? Obviously, we've talked about Lewandowski, but anybody that stands out possibly as you're very surprised to see them on that list? Uh, yeah, for, for me, the first one, Cesar Azpilicueta. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I like Azpil Az I think Azpilicueta has been one of the best right backs in Premier League history. I really do. However, is he one of the best thirty <laughs> players in the world? Probably not. Like, let's let's. Um, yes, he's had a good season. Yes, Chelsea won the Champions League, and he was a big part of that. He was the captain, or whatever. But he's not one of the best thirty players in the world. And you can say the same for a couple on this uh, on this list. Simon Kier at AC Milan. Yes, he's had a good season. Yes, he would batter you if you went in a fight with him because he's massive <laughs> and Swedish and scary. Uh, Danish and, square and I, scary. I think possibly but, that might be a reflection of what happened at the Euros and how it, 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 
how involved he yeah. was with 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 the uh, with the Ericsson thing. Yeah, but it's, but it's not first aid. This is the Ballon d'Or. If this was if this was the you know St John's Ambulance Award for brilliant people in football, then someone can yeah, nails I, it. I haven't I haven't nominated him, but what I'm saying is, then it comes down to like, are we saying the best person or the best player? <laughs> You know the 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 person that's kind oh, so of like—is this a humanitarian yeah. award or is it a football award? Because it's, it's my opinion, the Ballon d'Or is the best footballer in the world. Yeah, and that over the last twelve months has been Robert Lewandowski by an absolute stretch. So anyone else might as well not turn up. But I think Lewandowski is going to get knackered out of it again. I mean, it's interesting to see Riyad Mahrez on there as well. I think because again, he's had a good season or he's had a good twelve months. But is he one of the best thirty players in the world? Does he get in? Man City's strongest team. No, exactly. It's it's I'm a weird sure. list. And there's there's two things here. One, you look at this list and go, actually, we're in a period of football where the next great players are establishing themselves. So Erling Haaland and Mbappe, they're not quite there yet, but in the next kind of three, four years, they're going to be the next Ronaldo's, the next Messi's, the next great players. Phil Foden, you probably put in that list as well. Mm-hmm. It feels like a fallow year for the Ballon d'Or because the players that we're talking about the great players aren't necessarily the great players at the moment they're not quite there yet or they're fading into the background so it feels like it's a transition period and the other thing is the Ballon d'Or kind of lost its status a couple of years ago so it's not like the FIFA launched their own didn't they their own kind of world's best, best player award yeah exactly crappiest name for the for an award so the Ballon d'Or is basically it's a French magazine that now decide who what there? It's like the FHM top hundred high street honeys or whatever it is. <laughs> like, they just decided to vote for their favourite players. I don't know what that is. I, 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 I am looking at this list in a completely different light now. <laughs> but it's like that. Part of it is yeah, they want to recognise players. Part of it is they need to, in some way, create conversation and create headlines. And I think that's why you sometimes see. That's why we saw Luka Modric winning it a couple of years ago because it was attention grabbing. That's why you see the likes of Riyad Mahrez and. As, yeah, exactly on this list because it's to create a conversation rather than actually necessarily to flag these players up as the greatest. Mm. Now, now, in terms of how do you define the greatest, that's the other question, I think, when you look at it. And uh, so Harry Kane's on there, so obviously golden boot winner, but hasn't won any trophies. You know, he's, he's made it to a final uh, in, in the Euros, he's made it to a semi-final, he's made it to the final of the Champions League, but hasn't got those medals. Uh, so then you go, well, if you're looking in that respect... Somebody like Jorginho at uh, Chelsea, who's got the Champions League. Do you look in that sense? Because, but then, which counts for more? Is it your domestic career or your international career? Because uh, the Polish team have been nowhere near the top, but then it's Lewandowski's been the standout player for them. So, you know, is it just a real mix of how? How do, how do you even make the decision? Because I suppose the the problem is it's always been quite easy for the last ten years because it's been a case mm-hmm. of going: do we go Messi or Ronaldo? In a Euros World Cup year, you'd obviously expect that to carry a lot of weight, which is why um, Donnarumma will probably be in the runnings. He can see one goal during the Euros, mm. one or two goals during the European Championships, and that's yeah. got to be worth and a lot. And he's been on the bench all season in the in the league for, for PSG this year, so he hasn't does been, that yeah, cancel it out? Well, he hasn't contributed to their terrible form at the end of last year <laughs> where they didn't win it or this year either. So that's probably a good thing. That goes in the positive column. He's been all right for the reserves. It's like, so yeah, I think probably an Italian player might stand out and might end up edging it, but it's a really difficult year to call. Why is it that um, we, we struggle to get uh, players from the Premier League actually getting down to that that final three and actually winning, especially when you've got somebody like Mo Salah, who is in the form of his life and arguably right now is, you know, 
you'd possibly pick him over Lewandowski in your side if you had the choice. If you were basing it on this season, yeah. I think it's difficult to disagree with Mo Salah. He is the best player in the world at this particular time, but it's over the last 12 months. I think Premier League players sometimes struggle to feature in these lists. Again, going back to what we were saying about Norwich, it's a hugely competitive league. When you've got Messi playing in Spain and playing against, I don't know, Dijon or whoever it is, every year, <laughs> twice a week where he can, twice a, twice a year where he can dribble past 11 players and slot it in the top corner. That highlights reel suddenly looks a little bit better. But when you're playing week in, week out against Premier League teams who are all competitive, apart from Norwich and Newcastle and Burnley, <laughs> it's more difficult to impress and I think it's more difficult to look like the world's greatest player. So it is more challenging for a Premier League player to sparkle in a list like this, I think. Uh, speaking of sparkle, uh, five kilograms of 18 karat gold is contained within the uh, Ballon d'Or trophy, um, which I'm sure like all those footballers need. Um, do you know? Do you know how much money they get for uh, for winning the Ballon d'Or? I didn't realize they got anything. No, they don't. They don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they, Good. They, just, they just get a big night in a party uh, and uh, they get the Ballon d'Or. Um, just before we leave this, um, one name that surprised me to see on there, but I was also quite. Uh, pleased to see in a way uh, was former Premier League uh, striker uh, Luis Suarez who's uh, sneaked in at the bottom of the nominations there as well and again towards the end of his career yeah I hope I hope the uh, the headlines and Suarez himself has sent Ronald Koeman a message about that like look look what I've done after you let me go Mm. for free he scored 22 goals I think it was for Atletico as they won the league and then Koeman got sacked so happy days Everyone's yeah. a winner there. I mean, I, I love the fact that he's on that shortlist, so he's in with a chance of winning it. Obviously famous for scoring lots of goals, but also infamous for that biting incident. So he's probably the best man to check how much gold is really in the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because <laughs> of that Simpsons episode where Homer has to give the key to the city back and it's got bite marks in it because he thinks it's covered in chocolate foil. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we shall leave that there for now and come back. We're going to look at the uh, final games in this international break as England are one point away from securing uh, top place in the group and going through to the Qatar World Cup. Hello and welcome back to part three of, well, it's not welcome back, welcome to part three. Welcome back and this is part three of the Football Social Daily and we're looking at the final round of fixtures in this international break. England travelling to San Marino, uh, needing just one point to secure qualification. There's been quite a few players have pulled out, another five players uh, have, have pulled out, including uh, the Man City pairing of Jack Grealish and Raheem Sterling. Conor Gallagher from Crystal Palace is being called up. And, well, this technically, th- theoretically, should be a walk in the park. But uh, some of you may be old enough to remember in the early 90s, England needed a big win over San Marino and started the game by conceding to what was the fastest ever goal at the time. I think 8.3 seconds San Marino managed to score in. Um, There has to be a really big swing. Poland are playing Hungary, uh, who obviously England uh, did all right against. But uh, I think there has to be a six-goal swing, England to lose, Poland to win. I'd say it can't possibly happen, but there seems to be a lot of stories everywhere just talking about the biggest ever shocks in international football. 
I mean, you mentioned that one goal that San Marino scored. What was the final score that day? 7-1. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure that was an international shock. In fact, San Marino have played England seven times. The aggregate score from those seven games is (laughs) 42-1. So I'm not sure... Yeah, but how good was the one? The one goal? (laughs) Name me any other scorer, like any other goal you remember. That guy guy will have streets and restaurants and huge buildings named after him in San Marino. Well, he's he's actually still still an absolute legend. David Gutierrez, I think his name was, and he's he he runs a tobacconist in San Marino, and he's still there, but he's still heralded as a bit of a legend around the town for scoring San Marino's one goal. And 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 he held that record as well until Christian Benteke popped up a couple of years ago and and did a faster goal. So uh, yeah, he, he he did it in some style. San Marino are the worst team in FIFA's rankings. They're absolutely rock bottom of the whole thing. So they're, I mean. There will not be a shock tonight. It doesn't matter which team England put out. They will score goals. All right, I'm feeling there's been quite a lot of negativity going out here, so I want to give at least hey, one... I of... love Sam. <laughs> honestly, it's my favourite Wikipedia page in the world. Um, <laughs> What's your second favourite? There isn't one. <laughs> um, mainly because there's, there's a section in it called List of Matches Not Lost by San Marino. <laughs> And there's in in that there's seven uh, seven matches and four of them, have, uh, three of them sorry have been against Liechtenstein, um, a nil nil draw in 2020, a nil nil draw in 2000 and uh, sorry a two two draw back in 2003, which I think was the only time they've ever scored two goals in a match, uh, and a one nil win in 2004, the only match they've ever won. Uh, they beat Liechtenstein in a friendly in 2004. And Andy Silva, their top goal scorer ever with eight goals, has, um, <laughs> has, has he scored the goal that day. So what a legend. I mean, that that is, uh, considering what we were talking about and uh, the pressure in the Premier League and uh, losing five games in a row, um, I, I don't think they have that same kind of pressure uh, with the management there at uh, San Marino because they've only ever had six managers, even with that record. Um, so that that's the pretty safe, pretty safe job to have. Where would you fancy it going? And this is, I'm really worried what you might say at this point, Jim. But if you were to have San Marino playing Norwich, <laughs> <laughs> maybe 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 I Dean Smith comes in and organises it as a morale building exercise. San Marino is the job that Frank Lampard's been waiting for. I mean, it's <laughs> one he can't mess up. I mean, I'd like to see Gareth Southgate being bold in this game because I think we've seen. On a fair few occasions, Southgate bringing young players into the squad and not playing them, not giving them that opportunity, bringing them in for the experience. And this is the perfect opportunity to give some of those young players a taste of international football. And Conor Gallagher is the obvious one who's had an absolutely brilliant season for Crystal Palace and probably deserves his England call-up. And if he does make that appearance tonight for San Marino, he's going to have played for England before he plays for his club because he's never made a first-team appearance for Chelsea. Which wow. is, I'm not sure. I'd love to know if that has happened previously. So it, it almost it happened with Hudson Adoy as well. Did it? I, I, I also so. want to say with um, Theo Walcott, it almost happened when they yeah. br- when Ericsson brought him to the World Cup because he'd, he'd 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 played for Southampton and Arsenal had signed him, but I don't think he'd actually made a first team appearance at that point. No, very true. But this is like, but he was he was signed to Southampton, so he yeah. was like he was owned by Southampton, whereas Conor Gallagher is a Chelsea player and still hasn't played for Chelsea obviously other than playing for Crystal Palace so it'd be nice to see Southgate mixing it up tonight and playing a few extra players but it's difficult to get excited isn't it when you've got so many players 
clearly disregarding the fixture because they are ill, inverted commas, and dropping out of the squad. Yeah. It's, it becomes very difficult to get yourself excited about a game against San Marino when it feels like qualification is secure. But credit has to go to Gareth Southgate for, again, in a very pragmatic fashion, securing qualification to a major tournament because it's it, it's a long time going back before since England have missed out on a major tournament. And that's partly to do with the qualifiers now being a little bit easier and being a bit of a walk in the park. There's no real opposition in these groups, but partly to do with the fact that Southgate has managed his way through it really well and often pragmatically. But how much of those players withdrawing from the squad is down to uh, the players themselves and pressure from their club and club managers? Because, say, for example, uh, somebody like Harry Kane, you know, he just needs a couple more goals to break um, the all-time England record now. Um, He won't care at the end of his career, when he looks back and he says, well, like seven of those goals were against San Marino on a, on a Monday in November, he's just going to take all those goals and, and go with it. But obviously, um, especially when you look at the pressure in the Premier League, you know, the, there's been a lot of uh, illnesses. I mean, like we just seen uh, Henderson's gone back with an injury. Um, I mean, we never get the full details of these. They, they vary from illness to personal matters, all these things. It is a great opportunity for the other players coming in, but I'm just curious as to, I mean, do you really think that the Mali that the players just kind of go, oh, San Marino away? I don't fancy it. I'd fancy it, me. <laughs> it's a nice, it's a nice easy game, and it's in, it's in Italy as well. Like it's not a long flight. It's like two and a half, three hours on the on the plane. It's a nice place. It's it's warm. It's warmer than England. It's not like. Like Albania or Andorra, something like that, where it's like you've got to fly forever and get to some like airport made out of tin, and you know <laughs> get on a plane with like one working propeller and stuff like that. It's just it's not it's not the worst place to go, San Marino. Um, You're it, just saying this so they give you a mention on the Wikipedia page, aren't I'd you? Lo- I'd love that. <laughs> I I keep pitching to my girlfriend that if we have a kid, we're gonna go when she's eight months pregnant. We're gonna drive to San Marino. It's gonna be born in San Marino, <laughs> and it can play for San Marino when it's like twenty, <laughs> and it'll go down as like the new Andy Selva or Paulie Galtieri or whatever he's called. Um, so I yeah, we'll see how that one keep keep updated on that one. That's how that conversation goes, but. I like yeah, it's not that bad. It's a nice easy game. Like Conor Gallagher would be bang up for it, probably bag four on his debut or something like that if he gets a game. Players like Smith Rowe um will will love it, enjoy the mm. enjoy the 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 sort of occasion. Whoever's in goal will have to wear two t shirts because they'll get bored and might get a bit cold. Um but it's it's just one of them things. Like we are, we always have that conversation as well every year, don't we? Like, should they be in the qualification thing? Like, yeah, they should because they might just bring an upset one day. They might score against England after eight seconds, like, like they have done before. So I I I quite like these games, even though they are terrible to watch because it's just it's like a training session. But the, the, it is what it is. There's an element of negotiation I think that goes on, and I think one of the things that Southgate deserves huge credit for, and there's people saying he's taken England as far as they can go and maybe he tactically he's not the best but in terms of the way he's managed England's relationship with club football I think he's done very well you rarely hear Premier League managers now moaning about the amount of playing time their players have to play on international duty or injuries they're getting probably Klopp uh, every well, now and again yeah. I've never heard him but he probably does um, but then so you look at the players that are pulling out I'm sure through sickness or calf strains or whatever it is I'm sure there's a amount of negotiation that's gone on there saying look we'll give you 
this player, Jordan Henderson, for the first game, but then for the second game, you, yeah. you need to release him. We need to have him back. So you can have him for the qualification, but then when it's done, you release that player back to the club. I'm sure that is the situation that we're looking at, that there is that kind of Yeah, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that he gets ill between, you know, on Saturday and Sunday, between the Albania and San Marino games. Um, but yeah, it's one of the things, and it? it's it's as see-through as anything, yeah. but... Yeah, maybe maybe Jordan Henderson gets deep vein thrombosis and hasn't quite uh, packed his, his flight socks to get him to San Marino. I do think Harry Kane will play, though. I'm mentioning him, yeah. back in three at the, in the week before, and he hasn't pulled out. He is still available. So I'd fancy him to feature, and I think there is a player who would benefit from bagging a load of goals against San Marino because he needs that confidence lift at the moment. And he would have got it partly against Albania. Yeah. And now going back to San Marino, if he can get another hat-trick, he goes back to Tottenham with his tail up, with Antonio Conte believing in him, and that will surely benefit him and the club going forward into the rest of the season. Yeah, and for all the, the, the lack of performance he's had in with Tottenham, I mean, some of that's got to go down to supply and, and those kinds of things. But, you know, we were talking about it in yesterday's show. He's, I think he's got seven goals for England since mm. since the Euros. So that's and there's not been that many games, so there's a consistency there, and we know he'll, you know, remember the uh, the video where he bet on his. I swear on my daughter's life that that ball went in off my foot, trying to get the extra goal. <laughs> yeah. for the, you know, that man loves to get a goal credited to him. Uh, I just wanted to finally just uh, give a little mention to Connor Cody, who's going to start tonight. Um, how how good is Connor Cody? Is he just a Not backup player? Or because, because no, dur- during during the Euros, Gareth Southgate made a point. He didn't make a single appearance, but Southgate, whether that was man management or down to the influence that he has on the dressing room, it's going to be his eighth start tonight. But realistically, with the players that are in front of him, I don't think you know unless things change drastically, we're going to see him lining up at the World Cup. No. I think he's very much, he's backup fodder at the moment for the England side. He's not quite got the pace, has he, to really shine at international football, I don't think. There are just better options at the moment and there'll be more options coming through. So from what I hear, he's a great player to have in the dressing room. He's kind of one of those cliche natural leaders, but I don't think he's one for England's future. He's not going to displace any of the people ahead of him in the pecking order in the short term. How important is it to have somebody like that in the squad, though? Because you're potentially holding up, a, you're taking up a space that could be uh, filled by somebody who was faster rather than somebody who's a nicer person. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very important. I think building a squad, especially at a tournament, is is about blending the personalities, and you've got to have players there. Like the, traditionally over the years, England have been a bunch of individuals who all flipping hated each other. Like for you know, during the early 2000s and the 90s where we had that sort of golden generation, they never liked each other. The club club rivalry was too big. Um, and now it's it's lesser it's lesser so. And also players like Conor Cody uh, who've, who've put in the hard yards to get to England level, they're, they're massively important, even though he's not one of the best five centre-backs in, in England, uh, English centre-backs in England. He's still very important to the team morale and stuff. I think he'll be one of them who, if there's someone ahead of him, he won't be hoping that he makes a mistake. He'll be hoping he keeps a clean sheet. And it's that type of... He's almost like a coach on, on the around the training ground. I think he's he's been around the game long enough to know that he's not the best um, option. He's not going to displace um, Stones or Maguire or 
possibly you know even like Ben White or Mings or someone like that. So he knows that he knows his place basically, and that's massively important, I think, because he can just get on with being sort of a good teammate and passing on his experience to the younger lads, um, coming in and doing a job solidly when when required, even in these little dead rubber games where. It's uh, it's only San Marino. I think he's a great sort of leader in in that dressing room, and that's that's massively important in international football. I think. And we'll leave it there because I can see that Marley is itching to go and get back on the uh, San Marino Wikipedia page. I'm already on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now on one which is called San Marino um, National Football Team Results, and it's just a sea of red. You can see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sea of red things there. There we go. There's, oh, there's there's the one win against. Look at like look at my five aside league results. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, well, let's uh, let's send a link out to this on the the football social daily Twitter, uh, so you can share the joy that Marley obviously has. Uh, thank you very much, Marley. Cheers, guys. And uh, Jim. Ta. Uh, I've been at McGinley and we'll be back with all the latest Premier League news and we'll start looking ahead uh, to those fixtures and those first games in charge uh, for Dean Smith with Norwich and Stevie G with Aston Villa on tomorrow's show. Thanks for listening. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.